Wow. So back in 1994, saying, you know, I'm going to hang my own shingle was basically that, start your own business. Um, entrepreneur wasn't even a word in my vocabulary. It was trying to find a way to continue to do what I loved. And that was just start a business, a consulting company that provided services to companies within the greater Pittsburgh area. Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Barbara Van Kirk, has been running her software consultancy and engineering agency for 28 years. That is a heck of a lot of staying power and well, well, well beyond the norm for any entrepreneurial endeavor. So I went to her office out in Monroeville asking, wondering, how has she been able to sustain her success for such a long time? What I got were stories about the genesis of the company and a lot of clarity about why and how she puts her team at the center of her company's culture, incentives, and structure. I learned a lot from this conversation, and if you have any aspirations of being a part of lasting, sustainable business building, then this is going to be an absolute must-listen for you. Here is Barbara Van Kirk. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Barbara, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Thanks, Aaron. I'm really happy to be here. Never done anything like this, so I'm excited. I know. We're, we're going to have a lot of fun, um, and I, I know that you're going to have all sorts of uh, stories and insights for us here. But I wanted to take us back. Uh, I believe it's 26 years that you've been in business with IQ, Inc. Am I wrong? Did I get that math wrong? 1994, so we're in our 28th year. 28th year. Math. Um, so I wanted I want to go back for folks and, and try to paint a picture of what it was like to start a business at that point in time. And I think there's a really important thing that almost... For someone of my generation, it's actually kind of like hard to really grok, which is we live in this era of like celebrity entrepreneurs and, and that is a much more um, culturally relevant cloak to wear, so to speak. There's like, you know, athletes trying to position themselves as entrepreneurs, pop stars trying to position themselves as entrepreneurs. Jessica Alba just took The Honest Company, you know, public. Uh, she's an, going from being an actress to a soap soap and shampoo company. Back then, when you were articulating to people, I'm going to go off and start my own thing, how was that received? Like, what was just the kind of general cultural moment for something like that? Wow. So back in 1994, saying, you know, I'm going to hang my own shingle was basically that, start your own business. Entrepreneur wasn't even a word in my vocabulary. It was trying to find a way to continue to do what I loved and that was just start a business, a consulting company that provided services to companies within the greater Pittsburgh area. There weren't a lot of entrepreneurs. There were business people, I guess, to, for a lack of a better term. But I worked for a large corporation, did not know what it meant to stand up a company. It was, I wrote a business plan. I took a business class. Um, went out and did a little bit of sales and said, hmm, I like this. <laughs> I think I'm going to uh, try to do this on my own. I actually worked for a big corporation and then worked for two small consulting companies. And the owners, the people that I worked for, I guess would have been considered entrepreneurs. But I, I looked at what they did 
and decided, could I do this a little bit better? Could I do this a little bit different? Could I set a different pace? And uh, that's what I set out to do in 1994. And so what you're currently doing is, uh, as a company, IQ Inc., is a lot of software development, software testing, um, you know, the development of these type of services. What did the consulting services look like at that point in time that you were bringing to market? The consulting services in 19... 1994 looked very different than it does today. So it was basically hiring somebody, placing them with a company. They worked specifically for company ABC and delivered on their whatever product it was that the company was trying to uh, bring forward. And it was hour by hour, um, you know, collecting hours, billing out hours, understanding. I, I think the big difference when I started the company was I sat on the other side of the desk from an engineering perspective for 14 years. And I understood what it meant to interview and find the right person for the right opportunity. Um, it, back in 1994, it was just find anybody to do this. They thought that software was something you could, you know, put somebody in a dark corner and, you know, they would plug away. Yeah. And there's a lot more to it. There's, you know, a lot of... Um, you know, the, obviously the, the people aspect, you know, more people involved in the software development, the idea sharing, the collaboration, you know, bringing that all together um, to work well as one team. And I wasn't seeing that where I was. It was just putting people in positions and not really being concerned about where, where they wanted to go, how you could build their stories, how you could set the path for them, you know, to continue to be successful in their careers. It was more or less, this is what we're asking you to do. I actually had a manager say at one time, I don't pay you to think. And I was like, whoa, what are you paying me for then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so taking those kind of comments and really thinking about those and saying, how could you make a difference? How can you make um, the individual, the important piece of the puzzle, rather than trying to just fill holes. How do you find the right puzzle piece? Yeah. And, and, and that puzzle piece to me was, was the person and making sure that you had the right person for the right opportunity, culturally, technically, um, personably, you know, did they have the mindset to continue to grow? So it really sounds interestingly like, it was, and not to say that, you know, getting the clients and, and building a client base isn't important, but really your capacity to recruit was like a pillar of, of where your differentiation was going to be, where the opportunity was, was I can recruit a different type of talent and they'll stick around and we'll retain them because I actually put them as humans at the center of this and not just a, a cog in a machine, so to speak. Correct. It was, so when I left, um, I worked for Westinghouse for 14 years. When I left there and went to work for a small consulting company, they asked me to do business development and recruiting. And I walked into their, and they were, they, their title was, you know, computer something or other in their, in their company name. And I get there and they don't have any computers. I'm like, how can you be computer consultants? You don't have any computers, you know, so coming from technology, that to me was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to figure this out. So they provided me with this drawer full of resumes. And that was like a gold mine to me. I went through that stack of resumes. And you have to go back, like I said, a long time where everything was on paper. Yeah. You know, when you, when you talked to an individual, you called them on the telephone. You, you know, I met them at local diners. I met them, sat down, helped pull information from them. Tell me about your experiences. Tell me what you've worked on. Um, help me understand what success looks like 
for you in the future? And then putting together those pieces, what clients do I, what companies do I know? They might not be clients. What companies do I know that have something that might be similar that we can take your experience and help you get into that door? So looking at a resume to me was like, like I said, a gold mine. It was like, wow, because I understood what they meant by coding and testing and building requirements and business analysis. And, you know, I, I knew I had, I had a base understanding all of that. So being able to talk to an individual, help them piece that story, and then sell their story to a potential client. And that's how my success was for this small company. And then I went to work for another company, basically the same thing. They didn't really have a good understanding of what it meant to deliver software, what it meant to write the software. So in 1994, I found a, a door that uh, was closed, and I opened up another door, and that's what started IQ. So it was a, it was a personal thing that was going on in my life, um, something that uh, my family was living through, a, a significant family member living through cancer and passing away, and took that opportunity to build a business plan and um, execute on that. It's, it's moments like those that I find often recontextualize risk so someone would say like oh my gosh like you know hanging your own shingle going off and doing your own thing is so so risky scary what if what if what if but when faced with the mortality that we're all looking at it, it does put that in perspective well yeah maybe it's risky but i also run the risk of regretting not rolling the dice in some capacity well the interesting thing is in 1994 um, work-life balance was not even on anybody's mind yeah. So I was kind of out there thinking about those things. What pushed me into that hanging my own shingle was um, the business owner said, if you're not here, you know, every day sitting at a desk, calling clients, calling recruits, you know, it's kind of that if you're not seen, you're not working. Mm -hmm. And I had proposed this um, work day that allowed me to stay home and get my kids to school and provide them the environment, the safe environment they needed, and then work my way into the city, do all the things that I did in a normal day, and then work my way back so that I could be home when they got home from school. Once again, creating the safe environment for my children. And the owner said to me, well, if I do it for you, I have to do it for everybody else. And I said, why wouldn't you do it for everybody else? Yeah. To me, it was not even a question. It was, you have a high producer, myself, that has been producing for five years for you. Why wouldn't you want me to continue to produce in an environment that made me successful, which made them successful? So to me, that it, was, it wasn't even, it, it wasn't in my realm of thinking that he would say no. Yeah. And I still remember calling my husband at the office. He worked for another major corporation. He said, you're just going to have to do it on your own. Because he'd been hearing the trials and tribulations I was going through, you know, to um, kind of sell that story. And here we are, you know, fast forward 2021, work-life balance. It's become a big, um, I don't want to say a catchphrase, but everybody wants to be able to support their family, support their you know, their, their work, support their life, but they want to be able, and I selfishly said I wanted to do it all. So that was, my daughter almost cringed when she heard me say that in an interview. I said, I wanted it all. I wanted a family. I wanted to be able to continue to work and I wanted to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you know, exporting that to your team, making that part of the culture, um, 
there, there's a pragmatism to like this is you, you know right i just went through trying to buy a house right it's a it's a seller's market everyone's looking to buy and if you're looking to sell you can get way over asking crazy prices right. and similarly particularly when we talk about software engineers but just in general there is this battle for talent and what it also sounds like is some of these previous employers of yours did not really recognize the shifting dynamic of supply and demand there's a limited supply of high performers yes people can be trained up but it takes time it, you know not everyone's cut from the same cloth and if you have those high performers if they are able to continue delivering, it really doesn't matter what context it is. In fact, it behooves you to allow them to kind of figure out where they can perform the best. If the performance lacks, that's a whole other conversation. But you basically recognize that, you know, your ability to bring in that talent and not only utilize your own talents could take forms that were underappreciated by a lot of other companies. Correct. It's, it is a fine line. It is a, it is a balancing act. Um because you you will have individuals that want to take advantage of um, the opportunity to work from home or work remotely, wherever that might be. But if you create a great culture where everybody lives and breathes that, they fall off very quickly. They're identified very quickly. They realize that they're not in the right place. So it's all part of... Um, bring everybody together, as we said, as collaboration, understanding what works best for Aaron, what works best for me. Let's work through that together. Let's communicate that. Communication is key. You know, you need to make sure that if something personal is happening in your life, communicate. It doesn't have to be the nitty-gritty details about that specifics, but just, you know, I have something that's challenging me at home right now. You know, I need to work from home. Certainly COVID fast-forwarded us all, you know, up to, I, I keep saying 2023, because we've all been um struggling with what does that really look like and certainly we have to be um, sensitive to our client needs as well so based on the work that we do we do a lot of medical device testing so there is a need for us to be physically on premise you know to um, test equipment uh, to collaborate work through various problems and certainly there's a lot of benefit to having face-to-face -face time with uh, your co-workers with your clients Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. So one of the things that you know you, you showed us as we took a tour of the office and as I was prepping here, um, there are specific domains where I would imagine not only is it more uh, potentially more lucrative to be doing software development, but also where there is a kind of differentiated skill set that is one of the challenges, particularly for any kind of agency business. It's very not very. It is challenging to differentiate yourself from everyone else saying, Hey, we can do that kind of core function. Um, you really found that in uh, medical devices. You found that in transportation um, and, and these other kind of regulated domains. Can you talk a little bit about realizing that specific opportunity to move into these potentially more challenging domains, but once you build that skill set, once you understand the different kind of compliance considerations, you actually differentiate yourself from the pack via both track record and capabilities? Certainly, um, that takes me back to, you know, as I said, I worked for Westinghouse, which was nuclear power plants, highly regulated. So I came from that engineering mindset. And the two companies, as I mentioned earlier, that I worked for that were consulting companies, they were very heavily involved in, I guess, invested is the right word in more what I call business applications, you know, the, the big IBM apps, we didn't call them apps at the time, but anyway, big 
ERP systems. And I brought more of the, as I said, the highly engineered talent at that time, C, C++, Fortran, if you, if you want to go back, you know, far enough. And that was my experience. So I, I was um, working in engineering environment, worked with a lot of engineers and realized that there was a real need for um, taking that business model from the business side to the engineering side. Engineers love to be challenged. They love to see new problems. Uh, we say in, in, for our company, you know, it's like an 18 month turnover. You know, you want something new to dig your teeth into, to figure out, you know, good, good engineer wants to be a problem solver. They don't want to solve the same problem over 20 times or 20 years over. Right. They want a new problem to work on. So the consulting for highly engineered products allowed us to be able to create an environment where we could um, get expertise in a particular domain, bring individuals in and start developing them, and then move our en senior engineers on to other product development, help solve those challenging problems, and once again bring you know, more junior engineers up to speed, helping them build their competencies, their skill sets. So it allowed us to kind of grow into that, taking the taking the engineering model and the, the heavy problem solving, the heavy lifting and developing a team, teams around that. It's almost the metaphor that I'm imagining in my head is almost like pioneers, like going into some kind of like un, un, non-understood jungle or, or wild environment, getting a lay of the land, <laughs> setting down some, uh, you know, train tracks and pathways and then letting other people kind of come in and actually set up structure and set up community. Absolutely. Even when I started IQ, uh, you know, they said you're a pioneer in creating um, flexible work teams, you know. So I had a particular um, woman that worked for me for years and she was suffering cancer, you know. So she would go for treatments and she would need to take afternoons off, you know. She would um, need to take even um, weeks off, you know. She was going through certain treatments. And she said, the hardest thing is I can't find anybody to employ me because, you know, if I can't dedicate 40 hours a week, you know, for X amount of weeks, blah, 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 you know, that <laughs> they didn't want to invest in her. She worked for me 15 years, you know, just, you know, I made sure that the right work was available when she was available to work. Mm -hmm. And she had a longstanding customer and they said the same thing, you know, when she's off assignment, we have other things over here for her to work on, you know, in the event that, you know, she has availability. So just creating that creating that environment to allow people to create their, to live within their own successes and feel comfortable that, you know, just because they have something that they're dealing with, it doesn't necessarily take them out of the workforce altogether. So another thing that happens um, with these types of technical sales, where you're, you're, you're either selling a technical solution or some sort of problem, um, is there's a there's an engineering skill set that's very good at maybe like addressing the issue and then there's this other skill set entirely that is involved in the actual selling to clients these types of opportunities it sounds like that was where your background was coming into starting iq but can you talk about um how you've developed a business development motion for the the business in addition to this kind of engineering <laughs> capacity that's a really hard one yeah because um sales to me it's not really sales it's 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 um Building relationships. Yeah. It's building relationships one-on-one. -on -one. Building relationships with uh, an, an individual engineering manager, um, 
you know, it could be a CIO, a CTO, it could be, a, it's just developing the relationship and understanding what struggles they're going through, what problems they're having. It might be a technical problem, it might be just finding the right people. Um, so we do, you know, all kinds of just meetings, understanding, talking through the infrastructure, what does, what do their systems look like? What's your roadmap moving forward? So it's not like we use a, you know, uh, particular sales technique. It's all in relationship building, communications, reaching out to clients, just, you know, um, need our services. This is what we offer. This is what we can do. Uh, we don't have any canned solution for any client. It's all open discussion. How can we help you? Do we have the right resources? We've even um, collaborated with other small companies when we can't necessarily deliver on what the client's needs are. And once again, that's just in building relationships, knowing who has the expertise, how they might fold into the, the particular project we're working on, you know, how to um, initiate that and how to exit out of that. And are you still like heavily involved in the business development? Have you, have you been able to hire like a, a sales team underneath you to, to fill that role? Cause that, uh, it's, it's shocking to me how often, you know, people talk about like the, the battle for tech talent or the battle for this type of talent, but to find the people that can come in and sell either the solution or the suite of services that you've developed is its own challenge unto itself. It is a challenge. So we have found our greatest success is building that internally. Okay. So once again, you know, as my own experience, I came from a technical world, got a taste of business development, a taste of recruiting, fell in love with it, and then used that to develop the company and use that to, to grow individuals. So we do a lot of various assessments. Uh, we use the predictive index um, to assess skills and team building, um, to identify strengths, you know, where you know, your true loves are, you, things you might not even realize that uh, would really excite you and get you motivated out of bed in the morning. So we do a lot of the internal development. So fi right now we're really involved in, uh, you know, everybody's using this upskilling, you know, taking individuals that want to make career changes or add to their Actually, I call it their stories, you know, their professional stories, where yeah. they want to go in life. Just because you set out in one path doesn't necessarily, that's the only path that you can take. There's multiple paths that you can go. So we spend a lot of time evaluating whether someone wants to stay in a technical um, rank or move more into business development, management, you know, whatever that might be. Well, like you said, you don't have anything off the shelf. Everything is custom. So that seems like it would be a pretty daunting task for someone to just kind of walk in off the street, even if they have decent sales skills and be able to articulate because they still have to have a sense for what is this team capable of? What have we done in the past? There's a lot of like almost history that needs to be embedded into pitching this specific service offering. So it makes sense, you know, if that, I don't know if you'd call that like a sales engineer or someone that's able to kind of come out of that side of the business to be able to articulate that, but that seems like it would almost be a prerequisite. It's, it's definitely, um, so we look at our clients are, twofold. We have the engineering managers, CIOs, CTOs in, in, for our client base, but we also have who we're recruiting and we consider them both our clients. We Got can't it. hire unless we you know, are able to identify technically, culturally, uh, personally, if they're going to fit you know, with what we have going on the other side with our clients and are they going to well, work well within IQ itself. 
So we look at, we don't look at business development as just customer facing. We look at it, business development as people facing, whether it's a candidate, a recruit, bringing somebody in to do recruiting, whatever it is, that's business development. Gotcha. So each of us takes on, it takes on a role of business development. And when I say each of us, you know, because we're delivering services at times on premise, everyone in the company has an opportunity to be customer facing at any given time. We have customers come in here, they come into the office, they use our whiteboard, they use our space. We just have such an open collaborative environment with our clients, with our employees. We have open houses, we invite people just to come, find out who we are, what we do. Um, you might meet one of our engineers and you won't be able to tell whether they're an engineer at times or whether they're, are they recruiting me? Are they on recruiting? Are they business development? Where are they? Right on. Well, Hannah was very jealous of the full wall whiteboard when she saw that come in here. So that's, I, I see that as a selling point as well. Um, so we have whiteboards in every conference room. Oh, big lightning. Yeah, that? I've, I've been really trying to focus, but then there's like lightning yes. like going over my, the shoulder there. Yeah, just a big one right there. Intense. Um, so business, like I said, business development. So if we look for a business development person, it, it's really hard, I think, as you picked up on to find somebody that could come in here and feel create a path for success yeah. without almost starting, you know, from the bottom and working your way up and understanding from each individual person we've hired and how they have been successful delivering services, you know, to our clients. It, it is, it is a hard, it is hard to come in and just grasp all of that. Yeah. So I want to go back in history a little bit. Another thing that is, that is very hard is, Getting, I would basically say, like a business off the floor, particularly if you're bootstrapping it, particularly if you're not like some sort of venture fund. Oh, we just raised two million. Not that those that's easy by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but it's just a different a different life, right? For most bootstrapped entrepreneurs, there is some window. Uh, one of my favorite resources is called the Tropical MBA. They call it the thousand day rule. And they say basically, regardless of where you're coming from, it takes about a thousand days to get it where you feel like there's momentum. It's not immediately going to tip over. And the life that you had before you started something, you have something resembling uh, a semblance of, of that life. It obviously, differences, but from a maybe income standpoint, security standpoint. Does that resonate with you when you went from like you and your husband saying, man, we got to make a change to I'm starting this. How long was it until you didn't feel, I guess, maybe like existential risk or like just a, just a, you know, I, I know it never goes away, but it was toned down maybe one, one notch, one level. You're exactly right. It never <laughs> goes away. <laughs> um, so interestingly enough, when I started IQ, I had five people working for me before I took a salary for myself. Okay. And so that was really important for me was to be able to have something sustainable. So something that's very different about our company is I never went out for any funding. Um, I started the company on $500 and that's that awesome. was out of my personal savings. And then I, you know, I acquired healthcare benefits. I knew right, I knew from the very beginning that I need to be able to offer a full suite of uh, benefits to whoever would want to come to work for IQ. And so I had healthcare benefits, medical, dental, and vision from day one, which was a shared responsibility between the employee and, and IQ. And I, I guess I, I guess the initial investment was 500 to stand up the company, but then you're right. I keep I forget that the other investment was the the salary and the benefits, you know, until the revenue um, came in. So it was 
um, in my best guesstimation, about 12 months before I took a salary for myself. And, and was that like you taking the salary, was that like, okay, we got it. Like there's enough forward momentum that we're going to be okay. Or was there still like a, will this or will this not work? You know, I never had a doubt that it was going to work. Interesting. Never had a doubt that it was going to work uh, because I believe, I think that's one thing that entrepreneurs have to really believe in what they're doing. And I believe so much that there was a better way to deliver services in the whole consulting world uh, back in 94. I just believed it in my heart. And um, sure enough, here we are, you know, 27, 28 years later that, sure, there were scary moments. Uh, we survived um, certainly the uh, Enron days. We saw the dot com. Uh, collapse, 9-11. Um, so certainly there were lots of scary times through there, but I've always been, a, you know, save for a rainy day. Um, don't overspend, you know, save. And uh, I've always reinvested in the company since day one. And I continue just to reinvest back into the company. So there's a, I think it's a Warren Buffettism where it's like, uh, only when the tide comes out, do you see who's swimming without any shorts on? Um, <laughs> which is, you know, this, this notion that a lot of people can look good when the times are good. And it's a completely different picture when times are tough, like all the times you just cited. Um, so, so as someone who has made it through, their business has made it through all those different trials. Can you specifically talk about, um, with all the events of the, the kind of pandemic 2020 into 2021, as you were going through that, what were you calling upon from those other market downturns to just help you navigate that as, as, as an experienced operator who had like seen a downturn before? Because for us, it was our first and there was a little bit of just like straight up white knuckling like, all right, here we go. I'm kind of, you know, shooting from the hip, just having never been through it before. Can you talk a little bit about what you were like tapping into during those challenging times. Yeah, so certainly through the pandemic it was a it was a day-to-day decision making events. And when I say that, I had to maintain composure, maintain calmness, right? Internal calmness that we needed to continue to educate ourselves on what, what are we dealing with. So when you look back into 2020, the interesting thing is in January of 2020, I had announced to the entire company that I would be vacating my office to open it up for more collaboration room because we continued to grow. And um, if you know anything about engineering, they like to collaborate. They need the creative spaces, um, not feel confined to you know small spaces. So I said, I'll free up my space. I'm going to work from home. And then, of course, March 13th, we, you know, kind of pulled together, got everybody, you know, whatever equipment they needed, sent everybody home on March 13th. Two weeks later, I, you know, stood up in front of the whole company once again through, it wasn't Zoom at the time. I think we were still using some other platform. But I said, okay, wait a second. I said I was going home. I wasn't expecting all of you to follow me. So I was, I was keeping some humor in it to, to not necessarily um, diminish or make it trite, but just to say, we'll work through this. You just need, we need to be patient. We need to go day to day, just figure it out as we go along. Let's not make big changes. Let's all figure it out as we go together. So we stood up every single week, every single Wednesday we had, and we still do it today. We have, um, all employee meetings every single Wednesday morning at 8.30 in the morning. Just I would give a particular message of calmness, trying to provide everybody with an opportunity to reflect on what they're experiencing. If they're having issues, please, you know, seek help with somebody, whether it be 
family member, somebody here at IQ, you know, somebody with a, you know, background in, in help, whatever it might be, but to make sure that you take care of your own health, you know, make sure you take care of yourself and, um, don't let yourself get into a dark space here that, you know, we'll continue to communicate what's going on here. We certainly had to get in front of all of our customers. What can we do to make things comfortable for you, help you on what you have to do, you know, make sure everything stays kind of moving forward. Yeah. So certainly it was scary times, but. Over communicate through that. that, that one over, of the over communicate. We communicated, like I said, every week we had a meeting. We stood up various platforms to, and we actually tried some fun um, platforms that allowed you to enter rooms as like little avatars. Is that what the right, yeah. you know, that didn't quite go so well, but we <laughs> experimented with a few yeah. different things. And then we found that Zoom was the best way to um, handle that. Now we have um, water cooler Wednesdays once a month. So we're trying to simulate that experience where you come in after a weekend. What did you do? What the Steelers do? How was your fourth? You know, whatever it might be. We did little contests like, um, you know, whose who's mug was this? You know, so you'd have a picture of, you know, all these dirty coffee mugs. And, you know, can you, can you put a name to one of these? Mine yeah. was always easy because I always had my pink mug. Our pets, you know, everybody took pictures of their various pets. And uh, we had a big board of those, you know, virtually. And everybody had to guess whose pets they were. So we did lots of different things to make everybody feel connected. Yeah. One of the positives that came out of this, that it really brought us together as one team, you know, that everybody, because we deliver services to so many different clients and we have employees that have not necessarily met everybody in the company, this gave everybody the opportunity to really feel like they were a part of IQ. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a, a book that I absolutely love. I cite listeners are probably familiar with, but it's called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. And some of his different uh, studies that he cites where people during, you know, was, I, I, one of the ones he references is during World War II when uh, residents of London were uh, going through bombing raids. And they're, you know, it's miserable. You're, you're, you know, hide and run from building to building, you know, trying to stay underground as much as you can. And yet there was a camaraderie of the folks that were kind of going through something tough together that bonded them forever and actually, like, while they're going through that, it, it, it wasn't as much of a low as one might would have expected. And so I think that that um, facilitating those types of communications through hardship are an important um, avenue for allowing that to happen. Yeah, we did something really fun, too. We had one of our um, quarterly meetings, and we usually provide lunch. And we usually try to get as many people here, and then we do satellite at our various clients. So everybody has lunch together. So the satellites are all, you know, on the TV and we're all together. Because we couldn't do it, everybody was had their own satellite office in their home. We bought these IQ um, little coolers and we personally packed lunches and personally delivered them to all of our employees. And it was really kind of cool because we, through knowing certain people, we knew certain things like whether they were a tea drinker or yeah. a coffee drinker or... So each person got a hand-delivered lunchbox that the next day during our quarterly meeting, they had their lunchbox, you know, there and that we all had lunch together. That's so it awesome. was really cool. So now, and they have a, a cool little IQ cooler. Yeah. yeah, and you guys go hard on the swag too. We were looking we at do, all the mugs. I've got the IQ cup here. I've got the, I can't think what this is called, right? a coaster. You've got it all. Well, this is, these mugs are our five uh, pillars 
uh, values and we have little contests all the time and we want our employees to recognize one another for standing out in some way maybe um, you know providing assistance for an, an employee that might be struggling to onboard or um, become proficient in something so we hand these out at every quarterly meeting and it's it's based on our employees recognizing one another so business is 28 years old. You talked about the five pillars. Can you tell me what those are and then when you implemented them? So like at what maturity of the company were you like, it's time to make it official? You know, every company tries to create a vision and a mission, and then you try to have your core values, right? So the core values have been something that um, has been in discussion basically day one since I started IQ, what were the core values of which we hired and retained individuals? And certainly it has evolved over the years. And I believe it was probably 2013 or 14 where we started posting these core values and really saying, are we embracing with these core values? And are we living and breathing these every day when we talk to individuals, when we talk to our clients? And those um, core values include working with joy, uh, people smart, meaning you understand one another, seek to understand before being understood, you know, uh, not always, you know, being the, the one that has to have all the answers. Providing services, not only to our clients, but to one another ex with excellence, you know. So we say we want our employees to have an exceptional experience when they work with us. We want our clients to have an exceptional experience with they, when they work with us as well. Um, being open and honest, you know, we don't want, uh, that's been one of the, I think the biggest challenges is when you have employees, are they really being open with you? Are they really honestly communicating how they're feeling, what they're feeling? How do we tear down those barriers so that you're not feeling threatened if you bring something up that, you know, may or may not um, resonate with somebody else. So that open and honest communication has been like key to us. And last but not least is caring for one another, you know, true caring. Auth being authentic is really important to us and not um, just saying the words, but it's living them every day. And, um, really bring your whole self here every day. It's beautiful. Um, I want to aim towards wrapping up before I can ask this in your last two questions. It is just so apparent how much you put people at the center of your work. I, I, I That's not always the case. We, we, we've talked with all uh, entrepreneurs cut from all sorts of different cloths. And what I'm definitely going to take away from this interview is how you can build a, a lasting company with that as kind of a central tenant theme value however you want to articulate that and i think that's pretty cool thank you well my sex success is only through the success of everybody that's walked through the doors whether you know as i said whether it's an engineer um, our admin support um, our clients we all work together for that success and i certainly wouldn't be success without them Right on. Well, as we, uh, it, for those folks that want to continue to track the success of you and the firm, uh, what digital coordinates can we provide people to follow along and learn more about IQ Inc.? Well, certainly you can find us on LinkedIn. We have an IQ Inc. LinkedIn presence. Our website is iq-inc.com. And uh, you'll find us on Instagram as well. And 
And uh, I don't know exactly what that is offhand, but we are on Instagram. That's fine. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, those are available for every single episode at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast or in the app. We are probably listening to this right now. But before I let you go, Barbara, you've been very generous with your time. But before I let you go, I want to give you the mic a final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Wow. You know, you know, I have lots of uh, challenges. So Bring I, I challenge myself um, every day. I challenge myself to be a life learner and, and simple things, you know, my, my, um, anybody that knows me, they'll say, Oh, I learned something new today. And I call it out when I've heard a new word, I've seen a new method, a new technique, anything. Oh, I learned something new today. So learn something new, um, every day, challenge yourself to, to just look around you and, uh, see something that you haven't seen before. Learn something new. Um, give back. You know, one of the things that I, I have learned is that um, give back what you feel would add value to somebody else. I have always had mentors throughout my entire career. And, and that was even before mentorship was, you know, talked about. But it was just somebody. You were ahead of the curve on a couple of things there, Barbara. Somebody that believes in you and embracing that. And then you believe in somebody else, embrace it. And let them know that you believe in them. Yeah. Um, be open to feedback and seek feedback. So how can you do things better at any time? And I'm not just talking about, you know, it in an entry-level position at my own. I'm, I'm seeking feedback. Um, don't fake it. Don't ever fake it. If you don't know something, own it. Own it and get back to the person or to the situation, whatever it might be, and say, I don't know. I will get back to you on that. Yeah. And stay people, hung. Pe Go ahead. People get afraid of that one. I just want to hang on that for yeah. a second. Okay. People get afraid. It's like almost like it's part of the like imposter syndrome, fake it till you make right. it, like thinking that you need to kind of weasel your way to a certain position. Um, it's I have I have learned this one very viscerally over the last two years. It is exceptionally freeing to just say, I don't know. I don't know. I've tried to find out. Maybe I won't even be able to find out. But I don't know the answer to that question. And this past year has been a prime example of that. Yeah. We are experiencing things we have never experienced before. And I can't even tell you how many times I've been asked something. I said, I don't know, but I will I will try to figure it out. Let's work together to figure it out. It doesn't yeah. need to only come from one person, you know, so let's work on it together to, to find the answers. Right on. And then the last one I cut you off. And the last sorry. one was just to stay hungry. And I and I say that honestly, just to stay hungry for, I have a thirst for life. I have a thirst for um, growing and learning and helping. Just, just stay hungry or thirsty. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I'm hungry for hopefully a second iteration of this conversation sometime down the line. I learned a lot. I know the audience as well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We just went deep with Barbara Van Kirk. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Barbara. We have talked with other CEOs and founders of software development agencies like Barbara's IQ Inc. If you liked this and want to go deeper, I would encourage you to check out our past interview with Ben Wilson from Rivers Agile. They have a similar business model and their own unique approach to things. It would be a very interesting compare and contrast. Hope you'll check that out and that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of this show. Thanks. Thanks for listening. 
Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.